Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He was a great humanitarian. He was a great prophet. Listen, folks, that's not enough. We have to see him as the great God. You see, he was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. Most of us have probably seen some things at one time or another that left us speechless. A sunrise over the ocean, the birth of a child, majestic snow-capped mountains against the backdrop of a crystal blue sky. Glimpses of beauty or grandeur or power can leave us feeling a sense of awe and wonder and searching for the right thing to say. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to see God with your own physical eyes? If, if I was there, phys- I mean, Jesus was physically right in front of them and he fed 4,000 people with a little bit of bread. And, I mean, how could they not get it? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're making our way through the book of Mark in our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Today, we come to one of the most amazing stories in the book of Mark. It's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. The disciples were continuing to struggle in understanding all that Jesus wanted them to understand about him. So he takes them up there for a vision of clarity. There is still some uncertainty about who exactly he is. In Mark chapter 9, we see Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up on a mountain for an encounter they would never forget. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Uh, Mark chapter 9, watch this. Listen to this story. This is amazing, folks. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Wow. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them, along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Tabernacle was kind of like a a portable tent, sort of like. Verse 6, I love what Mark says, for he didn't, he being Peter, he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. We can relate to that, right? Have you ever been in a place where you just really kind of scared or nervous and, and you didn't really know what to do, but so you just started talking? <laughs> then a cloud formed uh, overshadowing them and a voice uh, came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man, uh, until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things, and yet how is it written of the Son of Man? that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Verse 13, But I say to you that Elijah has come, has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this great action event uh, in the book of Mark, and, and Matthew and Luke cover it as well. 
and uh, there's a lot to, to glean from this, and some of it's going to be kind of, perhaps may seem sort of technical, uh, Lord, but it's so important. Uh, I keep thinking about this. It's so important. Even though uh, some of it is technical, it still is designed to help us. I think what Jesus is trying to help us all do, as we'll talk about today, is come to a better understanding of who he is. And the, the more I understand him, the more I understand about him, the greater my relationship with him can be and the greater my faith in him can be. That's what the application really comes down to. Uh, in these action events over the last several weeks. So uh, open our hearts, open our minds as we open your word. May you accomplish your purposes in Christ's strong name. Amen. All right, let's, let's look at it. Here's, here's what we're looking at uh, today. Here's where we're starting uh, with this, with this uh, declarative. Uh, we have a vision in verses uh, 1 through 4. We have a vision of clarity. There is a vision of clarity. And again, and I keep saying this, but one of the things I love about preaching through a book of the Bible is that you can see the continuity. You can see the flow as this thing is working. And again, we can see this continuity flowing from chapter 8 straight on into chapter 9. You may remember in chapter 8, uh, towards the end of the chapter, Jesus asked his disciples two questions. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Then in, in chapter 9, it flows right on into chapter 9 where we move into this, what's called the transfiguration of Jesus. So they're discussing this idea. And Jesus, this has come up over the last several weeks in our, in our study. As we work through chapter 7, chapter 8, this keeps coming up. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand? Do you really see who I am? The healing of the blind man and the way Jesus did it. It's picturing this, this disciples, where they were in their faith and what, what they were seeing. And they were kind of seeing, but they weren't there yet. All this kind of stuff. And chapter 9 moves on in. Now, Let's deal with uh, verse 1, because verse 1 has been uh, used for a lot of different things, but a lot of people have speculated about exactly what Jesus meant when he said, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So the disciples are standing around and Jesus said, I say to you, there are some of you standing here. Notice he doesn't say, oh, there's some of you standing here who will not taste, will not see, will not die until you see and as he says in Mark, until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with his power. In Matthew, Matthew puts it this way in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Before, uh, you'll not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the reason this verse uh, is important is because some people have interpreted it in a lot of different ways. Well, what did Jesus mean when he said, you know, some of you won't die before you see the kingdom uh, come in glory? And some people have interpreted it to mean that, that uh, when he rose from the dead, then they got to see it. Some people have interpreted it to mean that the birth of the church, that that's how they, that they got to see it. Some people have even used that verse to try and claim that this is evidence that Jesus is not God. Because they've said, see there, Jesus predicted that, that some of those guys weren't going to die before they saw him establish his kingdom. But we all know that Jesus died and, and they died, so therefore Jesus can't be God. I beg to differ. No, uh, the best interpretation, and you guys know this, if you've hung around cross-culture for a while, you know, you know I, I harp on this all the time. The best interpretation is always the interpretation that comes contextually. It is the interpretation that comes within the body of the text and the surrounding text that gives us the best information about what is being conveyed. And what is, te what is contextually obvious, I think, here is that Jesus is talking about the transfiguration. He's talking about this event that is about to take place. He says, some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of God in its glory. 
Six days later, notice verse 2, but six days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. So he takes them up there for a vision of clarity. They, like I said, they've got some idea. They see some of this. They understand some of this. But there is still some uncertainty about who exactly he is. And the text says uh, in, in verse 2, uh, take Peter, James, and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. It's a little, little grammatical stuff here, uh, just because I like to do it and I hope it helps. Transfigured uh, in the Greek, uh, the word is uh, metamorphothē. It's a compound word. It basically breaks down like this. Meta, which when it's used in a compound word, means change. Okay, metamorphose. Y'all, some of y'all can probably hear our word metamorphosis in it, right? You can, you can hear that word that, that we use. Meta, when it's used in a compound word, means change, uh, uh, morphu, to give shape or form. So you're combining those two together. And when it's used uh, in, in its passive tense, as it is used here, it means, basically means this, to be transformed, to be altered in appearance. To be changed, to be transfigured, to be changed into something else. Now listen, I, I told the, the, the folks that minister over in C2 Kids, we, we do a little thing with them in the morning before they go over there. And I told them this morning, I, I, I'm really hesitant to give this analogy, but since we're talking about action heroes, uh, then, then I'll go ahead. It's probably not exactly theologically correct and I'll explain, but you remember, you remember in those scenes in comic books or, or on, in a movie where uh, Superman uh, ducks into a phone booth? Some people say, phone booth? What is that? <laughs> Superman, <laughs> right? Superman ducks into a phone booth or he ducks behind a, a building and, and he, he, he takes off his Clark Kent clothes. And by the way, okay, I mean, in the movie, really? He's got glasses on, okay? I mean, he, never mind. That's just, that's just my deal. Anyway, so, so he takes off his Clark Kent clothes and he reveals who he really is. This is like, kind of like that, only a million times more. And like I said, it's probably not exactly theologically correct because I don't believe that you would say theologically that Jesus took off his humanity. It was more actually that he, that he let his divinity out. That he let his divinity uh, shine out. And, and man, the text says, man, did it, did it shine out. Mark says, uh, Mark says, Clorox, Tide, OxyClean, anything else you can think of, all put together, has never gotten garments as white as these garments were. The brilliance of these garments. Uh, Matthew uh, says this about the transfiguration. Matthew says his face shone like the sun. So it's not just his garments. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes were as bright as light. Luke puts it this way. Dazzling white. He, he, he let his divinity out so that there should be no question in Peter or James or John's mind as to who this is that stands before them at this point. Because, see, here's where they need it. They, they need it, uh, and here's where I've got it. They need, they need it to view him properly. They needed to view him properly. And listen, if you think about it, because we've all said this, and I, I think I said, Cindy and I have had this discussion over the last several weeks, and I think she brought it up just again this week. You know, it's like, how could they not get it? I mean, if, if I was there, if I was there, I mean, phys- I mean, Jesus was physically right in front of them, and he fed 4,000 people with a little bit of bread, and, you know, 
that idea. And right, we probably all thought that, right? Well, think about it. Other than when he was performing these supernatural miracles, and they were supernatural, no question about it. But other than when he was doing those supernatural miracles, Jesus would have appeared to have been just a regular guy. And by the way, he was. Right? Listen, you need to understand. He was 100% man. Jesus got hungry and sat down and ate with people. Jesus got tired and he laid down and he went to sleep. Jesus felt pain. Don't ever doubt that Jesus didn't feel every inch of the pain that was inflicted upon him. Leading up to and on the cross. He felt pain. He had emotions. He laughed. He joked around with his disciples. He was the kind of guy that anybody would feel comfortable being around. So, here's if I, that's what I'm, all I'm saying is, if I were in their shoes, and this is, you know, you're just hanging out with this guy every day. It would be so easy to say, man, that Jesus, he's such a great teacher. That, that Jesus, he's such a great leader and he is leading us and he's, he's doing an awesome job. That Jesus, man, he is a great prophet and he's doing miracles like the, like the prophets did. But you see, that, that, that's not enough. That's, that's not enough. And by the way, I hope you can see the relevance of that today. Because there are so many people that see Jesus exactly that way. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He was a great humanitarian. He was a great prophet. Listen, folks, that's not enough. We have to see him as the great God. You see, he was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. Now listen, I know, I, I, I get it, okay? That is not mathematically rational, but it is theologically essential. You have to understand that he was both fully man and fully God, and it took It took all of who he was in order to be the sacrifice for our sins. And it was essential that the church, remember chapter 8, that the church that Jesus was building on that statement that Peter made, you remember that statement? You're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Listen, in chapter 8, Peter could declare it. In chapter 9, Peter can describe it because he's seen it. He's seen him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor revealed as to who he exactly is. They, they need it to see this. You and I need to see this. But listen, besides this view, this need to view him properly, a couple of folks I want to mention here. There's also these visitors, what I call these visitors of notoriety. Moses and Elijah. What are they doing there? <laughs> I mean, they just, they just show up. Somebody asked me back there this morning, did, did the disciples, did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Yeah, the text seems to clearly indicate that, that they seem to know it was Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they knew. Somebody said, well, he had a staff. Moses had a staff. That's how I knew it was him. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. But that may give us a little glimpse about, you know, what it'll be like for us in heaven. Scripture seems to indicate that we'll know each other when we get there. Y'all going to have to act like y'all like me when we get there. But, but, there, but there's Moses and Elijah. What are Moses and Elijah doing there? Y'all are probably wondering that. Why, why don't y'all ask that? Say it. What, what are Moses and Elijah doing there? Great question. So glad that you asked. Would have been a short sermon had you not asked. Uh, listen, you need to understand that they are there. There's some symbolism in why specifically Moses and Elijah and why they are there. Here we go. Let's look at it. First off, Moses and Elijah uh, uh, symbolically are representing the law and the prophets. They symbolically represent the law and the prophets. Now, if you're here and you're saying, well, what is that? That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm glad you're asking that, that question. Uh, let, let me explain it this way. You and I... Uh, 
today, Christianity today and Christians today, when we, you know, we have our Bibles and, and uh, in headings and things like that, we tend to break the Bible apart, in the Old Testament particularly in this case, we tend to break it apart in, in more parts. Uh, we have what, what we call the law. The law is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We tend to break it into the law and then the historical books, Joshua to Esther, and then the poetical books, Job to Song of Solomon or, or Song of Songs, it's also referred to, and then the major prophets and then the minor prophets. We, we tend to break, maybe it's just easier for us to compartmentalize it like that. The Jews didn't do that. The Jews didn't break it apart like that. For the Jews, it was simply the law, those first five books that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the rest of the books, which the Jews would just lump together and call the prophets, of which Elijah was perhaps and arguably the greatest of all the prophets. So, symbolically, standing up there, remember what Jesus said when he backed out. Listen, some of you aren't going to die before you see the Son of Man coming in his glory, in, in his kingdom. So they are, they are representing symbolically the law and the prophets, all, a.k.a. all of the Old Testament. In other words, all of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the historical books, the poetical books, all of it is pointing to Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the one. Peter, James, and John are seeing, they're saying, oh, okay, Moses, Elijah, man, that's, that's who this is. That's who the Christ is. They're symbolically pointing out who he is. By the way, uh, Luke actually tells us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get this just from Mark, because Mark just says uh, Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus. Luke actually tells us what they were talking about. Did you know that? I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, they just went up there, what's up? Much, what's up you? No, no they, they actually talked, they actually talked about something. In Luke, watch this, Luke chapter 9, I think, yeah, Luke chapter 9, verse 31, Luke says, that they spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. At the transfiguration, they spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. You know what that says to Peter, James, and John, and to you and me? It says it again. We've said this several times the last few weeks. Jesus didn't accidentally stumble onto the cross. Jesus had an appointment with the cross. God was fulfilling his purposes, which he had, had set in place before the world was even created. God is accomplishing his purposes. God is doing this work. All right. It's about to get good. Because uh, Moses and Elijah not only represent the law and the prophets, but Moses and Elijah also represent the dead and the living. Listen. You can read it. You can find it. Moses died. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Elijah was taken away, caught up, snatched up, raptured. Second Kings chapter 2. So you have both the dead and the living. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus accomplished his departure at the cross and at the empty tomb by dying, for, by, by conquering death, hell, and the grave, by... Uh, being the substitutionary atonement for sin and rising again on the third day, he accomplished his departure from Jerusalem back to heaven. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus also accomplished our departure at Jerusalem. And listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if, you're, if you are dead or if you are alive when that moment comes. It doesn't matter if you're underground or above ground. Either way, you're not going to be sticking around if you're a follower of Jesus. 
Christ. You understand? This is, this is really important. He accomplished my departure at Jerusalem. Now, I may be in Raleigh when it happens. I may be under Raleigh when it happens. But it doesn't matter either way. He accomplished this. In essence, in essence, and I, and I know this is hard for us to get our minds around. I realize this. But ladies and gentlemen, here's what it means. It means 2,000 years ago, your passport and mine was stamped on the cross. Our passport to heaven was stamped. And Moses and Elijah are there representing both the Old Testament points to Jesus and the fact that his kingdom, whether you're dead, whether you're alive, when he comes, whether, that he will establish his kingdom and that all of us who are followers of Jesus will be part of this kingdom work that God will ultimately fulfill. It is so important that we see him for who he is, that we have a vision of clarity. It's not just for them, it's for us. The transfiguration helps us to see that he was more than a a good guy, he was more than a carpenter, he was more than a good teacher, he was more than just somebody that helped people. He was and is the Christ, the son of the living God in all of his glory. Listen, and, and we'll go to the second one, okay? You have to look past the baby in the cradle, You even have to look past the Savior on the cross. You have to look at the king with his crown. You have to see him as the living God, the king ruling in authority over all of his creation. He's not bungling around and this just accidentally. No, God is fulfilling his purposes in every bit of this. Here's the second idea uh, today. We, we, We need a vision of clarity, but then watch what happens. We also have the voice of authority in, in the remainder of the text. And I haven't read it in a while, so let me just go back and, and read uh, at least some of it. Picking back up in verse 5. Y'all okay? All right, listen. Peter said to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, <laughs> I, I, I think this is how it came out. Uh, 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 Rabbi, uh, it, it's good for us to be here. Uh, uh, let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for us and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, uh, overshadowing them, and a voice uh, came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Can I, can I just give you a, what I think would, might be an, an accurate paraphrase? Peter, <laughs> you're a great guy. I got great plans for you. But shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> this is my beloved son. Uh, listen to him. All at once. They looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And then verse 11 and the following, I'll, I'll pick up on that in a minute. Okay, right, we know this is Peter. He's, we've, we've seen this before. He's impetuous. He, he, he just does stuff. And he, he, just, he just says stuff. And in this moment, he's caught up in the moment. Hey, and let's, let's, let's cut Peter a little slack. I, I, I said earlier, I, I've been throwing the disciples under the bus for a number of weeks now. Uh, we do need to remember that, that we, we owe a lot to them and that, that these men were radically changed after the resurrection. Um, the power of God changed them. So, so let's not beat them up too much. But uh, let's, let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt and say that maybe in some sense, Peter realized this is, a, hey, this is not something you see every day. I mean, you don't see Jesus just, you know, revealing himself in his divinity and Moses and Elijah, two, two who would have been held in very high esteem in the, in the Jewish culture. 
And so maybe he realized the significance of the moment and he thought maybe it would be good if, if, if I build some, some portable uh, little, because it's hot. And that's, that's what a tabernacle, it was hot, the midday sun, but they would, they would get into this little tent thing they would create and, and wait until it cooled down a little or something like that. Maybe uh, Peter thought, well, if I do this, you know, they'll all hang around and we can just keep this moment going. I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but honestly, for the most part, I, I think he's just talking. Mark certainly seems to indicate that he, because he, he said this because he didn't know what to say, Mark says, because he was, he was scared, he was terrified. It's, a, it's an amazing moment. And God certainly seems to indicate that that's what was going on because, because uh, in Matthew's account, by the way, Matthew says that while Peter was still speaking, while he's still saying, hey, hey what, what, we get some, we get some tabernacle, some tabernacle, while he's still speaking, Matthew says his voice comes from heaven, says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So the voice of authority is, is, is establishing the voice of authority. Here's what it does, basically. It, it validates uh, who Jesus is. Now, by the way, you may, this may sound familiar to you. Jesus, or the Father did something very similar at Jesus' baptism. You remember that? When he spoke and all that sort of thing? But now again, at this moment when, when just the glory of God is revealed and this brightness and you know, all, all, whatever all visually that was, the Father speaks again. This voice of authority speaks again. And it validates who Jesus is. Hey, this is the one. He is the one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. So it validates who Jesus is, but it also does this. It gives value to what Jesus said. Can, can I say that? And let's make some, some modern day application. There are so many people, right? You know this is true. There are so many people out there clamoring for your attention for your time, for your ear. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's a commercial on TV, right? Whether it's Oprah or Dr. Phil or, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not uh, some of the stuff they say may have some merit to it. I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying there are lots of people clamoring for our attention, wanting to give us ears, wanting to tell us how things should be or what should be right or, or what should be done. We need to remember that, that this ultimately what matters is what he said. That, that we need to, to listen and we need to learn from him. It's not just about, you know, the stories that we read about the miracles that he performed and the life that he lived and, and, and even what he accomplished on the cross. It's, it's, Jesus got a lot of good stuff to teach us. And, and by the way, by extension, all the rest of the New Testament, it doesn't have to necessarily be just in the Gospels, whether, it, whether it's Paul or, or, or Peter or, or whoever might have written one of the other New Testament books, it's still written under the authority and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, in essence, it's still God speaking. And we need to learn from it. Because, I think I already said this a minute ago, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but the more I learn from Him, the more I know about Him, the more I'm going to know Him. And, and that, I mean, that makes sense, Right? If you're here and, and you're here for the very first time, I guess if I come up and, and introduce myself to you, you, you will have met me, but you won't really know me and I won't really know you. But if we hung out, if we found out about our families or, or, what, or what we, our sports interests or whatever, we would get to know each other. The more we, we get to know Jesus, the more we learn from Jesus, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we know him. And the more we know him, the more we grow in him, the greater our faith can grow in him. Because that's, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. This is about you coming to the realization, the understanding of who he really is and that he is the voice of authority for your life. Doesn't matter what, what 
current culture thinks. It doesn't matter what political parties think. It doesn't matter what your co-workers think. I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, we, we hear what they say and we, we want to receive people. But, but in the end, I tell people this all, all the time. In the end, if there is a God, then what you or I think really doesn't matter. In, in a sense, when it has to do with what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false. Because he is this, the authority that has established this truth. Listen to him. By the way, um, I should say this. As they, they went on, it says they, uh, we, we, we all kind of chuckle when it says uh, they seized upon that, dis- that statement, discussing one another what rising from the dead might mean. We all kind of chuckle because, one, we know that Jesus already said this to them, you know, a couple different times. Hey, I'm going to die, uh, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. So we know he's already said it to them, but also to us it seems rather obvious, doesn't it? Well, rising from the dead means coming back to life. <laughs> That seems pretty obvious. But listen, again, let's, let's cut them some slack. Remember, remember the, the, the culture in which they've been brought up. They've been brought up in a culture where what was taught about the Messiah was that he was going to, when he, when he came, he was going to set everything right. He was going to throw out the Romans. He was going to get rid of Herod. He was going to get rid of all the bad guys. He was going to set up his throne, rule in his righteousness. That's how the religious leaders had, had interpreted Scripture and that, that we needed to be living right, doing right, and, and impress God by that, and, and God would let us into his kingdom. That, in a nutshell, is basically what they were teaching. Now, the, 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 the Bible, the Old Testament, taught that the Messiah was going to suffer. The suffering servant, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, all those things, t- texts talk about what he was going to go through, but they miss that. By the way, they still miss it today. Orthodox Jews, they just, they just miss it. But, but the point is, to us it would seem fairly obvious. Well, it means coming back to life. Remember this. Nobody had ever come back to life the way Jesus was going to come back to life. There had been people raised from the dead, Right? Some of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus had already raised somebody from the dead. But you know what? Those people were going to die again. Not Jesus. When this guy dies and comes back to life, it's eternal. It's forever. He is transformed into this eternal, gloriously raised body. So, uh, we, you know, I know we kind of chuckle at it, but, but keep in mind that there's, there may be more to it than, than perhaps exactly what we, we see here. I mean, there's a lot for that the, they're having to think about. By the way, I should say this too. I think it's a good sign that they asked that question. Because before, when, what happened? Before when Jesus talked about uh, dying and rising from the dead, they either ignored him <laughs> or rebuked him as Peter had just done in chapter 8. Y'all remember that? At least now they're listening and they're thinking about this. And, well, I wonder what he means by rise from the dead. Is he speaking metaphorically? <laughs> So, so, hey, I think they're getting it. I think they're progressing. I think they're, they're and that's, that's the intent, right? That's where he's trying to get them there. So I think they're beginning to get a hold of this. By the way, the rest of it, I think, again, that's a good sign. In verse 11, it says, uh, they asked him saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They're referring to a, uh, a prophecy in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 5, uh, where Malachi talks about the, Elijah uh, coming again. And being a forerunner for the Messiah when the Messiah comes. Now, they've just seen Elijah, so I'm sure that probably sparked, hey, whoa, whoa. Now, okay, we get it. You're, you're clearly God. We got no question. But, but I thought Elijah was supposed to come first. So I think that's a good sign. Because you know why? All of a sudden, they're beginning to think spiritually. They're beginning to ask spiritual questions. Where before, it was like, who forgot the bread? <laughs> 
stuff, right? Right? And the same stuff we do. We're, we're guilty of the same. But they're beginning to change. They're beginning to think more spiritually. And that's a good sign. And, and Jesus tells him, Mark doesn't, doesn't necessarily give us all of it because that's just not what Mark's, you know, what he was doing. But uh, Matthew tells us specifically that Jesus says, Elijah has come in John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was the forerunner, that he came in the spirit of Elijah. He came bold, he came unapologetically, he came to the people and he says, you need to repent, you need to turn back, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That basically was the message of the prophets and that was the message that John the Baptist delivered. And that's what Jesus was saying. So it's, it's good, man, they're, they're moving in the right direction, they're asking the right question, that's what I hope for us, that we're moving in the right direction, that we're asking the right question, that we're turning more from the material and caught up with, boy, I hope, I hope God gets me that job, boy, I hope God, uh, you know, makes my spouse act better, boy, I, I hope, uh, I hope, you know, whatever, all the stuff that we, that we do think about, and I'm not saying that it's wrong, but I'm saying to begin to turn and to think about what really, 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 really matters, and that's the spiritual. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we begin to have a vision that's clear, we begin to see him for, for who he is and all of who he is, and we recognize his voice of authority, that, that, he, that, he, that he, is, he is, in the end, he's it. He is it. I've had people say to me that I've had to confront before involved in, in, some, in some sin. And I've had, I, I confront them as their pastor because I love them and that's what God's word tells me to do. And I, and I know that we're only... We're, we're always best when, when we turn and do it God's way. But I've, I've had to confront people before. And, and this response that I get is like, oh, yeah, but you just don't know. You, you, you've never been in this situation. That is the point in this, ladies and gentlemen. So that whether you've been in that position or not been in that position, whether I've been in that position or not in that position, when, when God speaks and God says, this is right, this is wrong, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, this is what I have for you. This is what I don't have for you. We can look at this and we can say, well, I feel this way and I think this and I wish this and I hope that. But this is what he says. And I have to humble myself. Here's the deal. We're done. When we can do that, when we can see him clearly, hear him with authority, the natural response on our part should be, and I want, I want each of us, in a moment we're going to sing a song, and I don't want you thinking about this. You know, who's, I, I just want to think of just, just this question. Where am I? Because what it should do, it should bring us to this point right here. It should bring us to this place of absolute, complete, unconditional, total surrender. And if we get to that place, and I know it's hard, and I know my flesh is always pulling at me. It's like, get up, come on, come over here and do this. I, I know that. I know what goes on. But if we can get to this place, folks, of just complete and total surrender. You and I do and will experience a relationship with God on a level that can't even be described. And the peace and the contentment and the joy and fulfillment and the power comes. Not from making myself who I can be, but for, for, for surrendering myself to who He is. Thanks, Pastor Clay, for that reminder to see Jesus clearly and to hear Him consistently. 
As Pastor Clay pointed out today, this encounter seemed to be a turning point for Peter, James, and John. They still had much to learn, but now that they had seen Jesus clearly for who he really was, they had a different perspective and a better understanding of how important it was to listen and learn from Jesus. All of us would do ourselves good to remember, as Pastor Clay said, to look beyond the cradle and beyond the cross and see the crown. Jesus is our coming King, and that should be an encouragement to us all. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.